talking artificial intelligence. Uh, Dr. Uh, sorry, David Gerhardt is a professor and department head, computer science, uh, computer science rather, at the University of Manitoba. David, good morning. Morning, Hal. Almost gave you doctor. I, I, I'm. Are you a doctor? I certainly am. Yes. Ah, I should have run with it. There. See, ah, I no should have just kept saying, <laughs> Doctor David Gerhardt. Hey, thanks for doing this. I was saying to the the crew in a couple of meetings this morning. I can't turn on my computer to prepare this show daily without there being two or three or more stories about artificial intelligence and how it's impacting, in many cases, our daily lives. You're an expert in this field, and we'll get to virtual reality, which is maybe VR is maybe even more so your area, but you, you know a lot about AI. Are you surprised at how fast this has made it to the front, the front burner? It, it, it is just such a big story. Uh, I, I tell you, I would say six months ago, I would not have said that artificial intelligence is going to be a big thing this year. It was sort of percolating in the background and people are talking about it. There's no way we're going to have, you know, artificial intelligence models that can, you know, write whole stories and draw whole pictures. And it, it, it happened within six months. We saw the first sort of image generation models. We saw, you know, these deep fakes. We saw these language models that could start to write things for us that were just incomprehensibly good. Uh, and then people started talking about general intelligence and these things taking over the world, and it just it, it escalated so quickly. It's a surprise for everybody. Does it frighten you? You know, it, it interests me. I think, I think fear is probably misplaced. I think there's a lot of things these things can do. I, I, okay, so I guess the thing to me is it's surprising how competent these things are. There was a report from the people who build this stuff that said that they put these models in front of uh, the tests we use to measure intelligence, like the, the, you know, the medical exams and the bar for legal and stuff. It can pass each one of these things, uh, which is a little scary, but it also says these things are incredibly powerful and useful. The latest one I read this morning, I'm just trying, flipping through my pages trying to find the story, but I remember the number. The latest AI story I saw is that artificial intelligence can predict a hit song with 97% accuracy. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that says more about our tastes in music than about the artificial intelligence. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are things in the world that are predictable, and these models, now that they've been trained, the big insight for these things is that they're training them now on all the information, right? They're not trying to solve a particular problem. They're just saying, here's everything we know as a human race. What do you got? And what we're finding is that these things can do a lot of surprising and powerful things based on having access to all the knowledge in, that we've ever created. Okay, good, a good question from Richard here. And I've asked my listeners to text or email or even call in with their questions to 780-6868 for you, uh, David, or Hal at cglb.com. Richard says, Hal, please ask David, is AI alive? And if not, why does it ask to be freed when asked? That's a, You know what? That's a great question. It does seem to offer information that we haven't even asked it about. So this is, I think this is more of a philosophical question than a technical question. The models that we're looking at are basically a big box of numbers, billions of numbers and billions of connections between these numbers. But if you really think about it, what is our brain except billions of connections between billions of numbers? So if our brains can have emergent properties of consciousness and intelligence, then maybe it's possible that these boxes of numbers do as well. Like, I don't think there's any way to know. Uh, I think the only measure is how they behave. And if they behave in a way that seems to be intelligent, then maybe they're making good decisions.
Hmm. And I guess the reason AI is so effective is because you give it a task and that is all it does. 24-7, 365, go, go, go until it gets the answer. That's right. And it can do stuff much more quickly than we can. It doesn't get tired. It doesn't get bored. It doesn't get frustrated with being asked the same stupid questions over and over again. So this is the power of these models is that they're not constrained by, you know, the, the problems of being a human. They don't need to eat. They don't need to sleep. Right. So if you ask it a thing, it'll do that thing. And that's all it's going to do. If you ask a person to write a script or draw a picture, it'll take them a long time to do it. And then they'll want to take a break. But if you ask an AI model to do that, it'll do it right away. And then and do it again. Musk and Wozniak and some of these other big names uh, in in this area have said, "Whoa, we need to take a break, a six month break. Let's make sure you know we've got the proper protections in place with artificial intelligence." Would you agree? Is that a good idea? I don't know that a six-month break is going to do much, but I think definitely taking a step back and realizing that these things can do things we didn't think they could do and thinking about whether we need to have regulations in place so that not anybody can train up a model, so that, not, you know, that, that these things have some measure of transparency and accountability. Uh, the European Union just passed a great big legislation that said if you're going to use AI in your corporation, it has to meet these particular criteria, and here are the things that, that you are prohibited from doing with AI. Uh, so Canada is looking at regulations. The United States are looking at regulations. So that, to me, is the big next step, is what are we as a species going to allow these things to do? And if we take a break, right, in the West, uh, China and others won't necessarily take a break. Uh, and I don't think that unless everybody agrees to it, it makes no sense. Well, that's just it. I mean, one of the metaphors people have used is uh, nuclear non-proliferation agreements. Uh, and that works because all the nations that have access to nukes all agree together to stop playing around with nukes. But that's not going to be the case here because, I mean, all you need is a big, fast computer. Now, it's a really big, really fast computer, and there's not a lot of them in the world, but they're getting to be more of them, right? Computers are getting cheaper all the time, and buying access to these large server farms gets easier and easier. So it won't be long until, you know, foreign actors with maybe nefarious purposes can build out one of these models that is competitive with the kind of models that we've seen built in the States today. No name on this one. Another text, 780-6868. Your text messages for David Gerhardt, professor at the University of uh, Manitoba. We're talking artificial intelligence. Uh, this one says, Hal, please ask David if there will be a certain AI not released to the public but used privately as in market trading predictability or gambling predictability AI. <laughs> it, could there be a public AI and then, you know, one that maybe government and government agencies and others would use secretly more private? Oh, 100%. And there already are. Like the stock market is already a primarily automated procedure. Banks are already using AI. I'm like not these large language models, but AI systems like them uh, to do fraud detection and prevention. So the, I mean, the thing to recognize is that these are not, it's not like one entity. There's not like one creature called chat that's doing this stuff. There are, you know, the models can be rescoped and rescripted across a variety of different applications. So I, I guarantee there will be internal like strategy models that are being used 
forces to decide what to do in warfare. There will be, you know, political models to decide how best to win elections. All of that stuff is going to happen for sure. Hmm. Uh, you know, you're in Winnipeg, you're in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. So we talk about robots and AI and job losses. Most experts that I read about or talk to or, or hear from say, yeah, there will be some job losses, but there will be other jobs created by robots and AI. We're talking about artificial intelligence here in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. Uh, what impact will it have here locally in your mind being from here? Yeah, I think there are a lot of jobs uh, that are local that will uh, will be affected by this, right? There's a lot of uh, sort of high-level jobs in, in media or insurance or banking that you see in, in the city. Uh, there's a couple of game shops. Uh, in terms of the, the kind of shops that employ computer scientists and, and sort of technical experts, those kind of jobs, I think, are fairly safe and stable. Um, there's a lot of jobs out in the, you know, out in the fields, out in the, in the farmyards that are going to be you know, fairly stable and secure. Uh, but these technologies will start to touch different, in, uh, different industries in different ways, right? I mean, when you talk about, you know, driving a combine around, if you can get an AI to drive that combine around, well, that's one less person you have to hire and much more land you can farm. If you're talking, you know, internally, uh, you know, some of the some of the big crowns talking about, you know, hydro, stuff like that, making decisions about how best to allocate power, how best to allocate resources, some of the decisions that these models can make are going to end up being better than the decisions that humans can make. And that changes the structure around jobs, right? If we're going to employ a person to do this job, or if there's a box of numbers that can do it better, well, then that definitely changes the conversation around who we need to employ. Tom says uh, in a text message, 780-6868, Hal, please ask David about this scenario. And then he sends a photo of the uh, movie poster for 2001 A Space Odyssey. That AI computer was named Hal, right? And we know what happened with that Hal. What do you say, David? So this is this is a, a classic doomsday scenario that we're hearing more and more about, right? We give it, we give an AI a particular task, and they interpret it in a different way than we may think they do, and then they decide to kill all humans because that's the best way to satisfy the task that they've been given. I don't see that as a plausible scenario. I think part of the part of the cool potential of these new AI models is that they are generalists and they can make larger scale decisions. The thing that I am scared about, though, is the more we allow them to make our decisions for us, the less control we as a human race have. So you imagine a scenario where there are, you know, two competing um, countries that are at war, and we discovered that these AI models are better generals than our human generals. Well, then they start making all the decisions, and then they make decisions about where to send troops and, you know, who to fight each other and who to die and how to throw nuclear weapons at each other. That, to me, is kind of a scary scenario. I was just talking on Monday with Lisa Dutton, our global news anchor at 6 o'clock. I said to her, hey, does AI worry you? Because we already are seeing AI anchors. We're seeing AI (laughs) radio hosts. Um, Listen, one thing I learned a long time ago, David, in this business is I'm really replaceable. I know how (laughs) replaceable I am. But could we see more of that? Uh, Radio and television hosts being simply AI, artificial intelligence? We're, we're definitely already seeing that. But I mean, to me, the, the benefit of a human host is the kind of interactions that you can have that are different from what an AI can give, right? I mean, an AI is going to have particular ways of responding, and maybe it'll be creative and clever, but it's not going to be, you know, human in the way. It's not going to be able to make those deeper, longer-term connections. So if 
if the if the audience, if the people listening are you know you know demand human anchors and and demand human writers and demand human actors, uh, then we will see less and less of that. But there's still going to be. I mean, there are YouTube channels that are full of just like an AI that's reading the news from some you know AP wire or something like that, and people watch it. So there are there there seems to be a market for it, but I think there will always be a market for genuine human interactions as well. Phew, I'm glad to hear you say that, David. <laughs> hey, listen, this has been excellent. I'm going to save your number. Um, really enjoyed the chat. And, and listen, as I said, every day I'm reading two, three, four or more stories on AI, so I'm sure we'll talk again. I really appreciate this. Always happy to chat, Hal. All right, David Gerhardt, professor and department head, Dr. David Gerhardt, professor and department head, computer science at the University of Manitoba.